is here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Number is 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811. This is your last chance, literally, until I guess midnight, give or take, to pre-order copies of American Marxism, because tomorrow they're out. I don't know how many are going to wind up being sold tomorrow, but we already know there's over a quarter of a million. I want you to get a first edition, and in order to get a first edition, you have to pre-order, pretty much. Um, and then you can give them to your kids and your grandkids and other people because we're going to spend some time on this. Uh, it's too important just to look at my book and move along here. And you can see how it, it sort of insinuates itself in so many things that are going on here. Look at Cuba. Look at what's going on in Cuba. Now, Cuba is supposed to be one of these utopias where everybody's equal. Everybody's taken care of by the government. Everybody gets something for free. The people are starving. There is no health care. There's no medicine. There's a reason why Bernie Sanders has for so long and so many years applauded Cuba. There's a reason why AOC and Bush and Talib and Omar and Presley and the others are not denouncing Cuba because they're American Marxists. It's because they agree with what Cuba's doing. You see, equality in hell is still hell. And look at the two societies. People willing to put their lives on the line to escape that country, that island country, any way they possibly can. And people trying to get into America any way they possibly can. That juxtaposition should be enough to explain the difference between liberty and tyranny, between capitalism and Marxism. But apparently, it's not. Apparently, it's not. And, of course, what the Cuban government has done now is they've cut down the internet. They've shut down the internet. They banned people from the internet. Just like what? Just like who? Just like our big tech 
people who run big tech, the radical Democrats, do the same thing. People want liberty in the end. Sometimes they don't realize it when they have it. Liberty permeates our society. People are free to destroy the society or attack other people in this country to undermine the rule of law. We've never quite figured out, because it's impossible to figure out, the catch-22, you see, where liberty gives liberty to people to destroy liberty. It's an odd thing. It's a puzzle. Free to destroy. Jim Psaki at the White House briefing today on the Cuba protests. And you see there, when you protest, you can be murdered. You can wind up on a list. You can be thrown in prison. There is no due process. Here when you protest, and I mean arson, looting, and so forth, mostly peaceful, of course, you are celebrated. Cut to go. Hi, Jen, just to follow up on Cuba, can you give us a sense of where the president's policy review on Cuba is right now? Do you anticipate making any changes, as Jonathan asked, and where do you see it going uh, from here? Well, I will say first, uh, and I meant to say this in response to Jonathan, but uh, there's every indication that yesterday's protests were uh, spontaneous expressions of people who are exhausted with the Cuban government's economic mismanagement and repression. Wow, economic mismanagement and repression. That's a bad combo, wouldn't you say, Mr. Producer? Economic mismanagement and repression. Interesting. Interesting. We'll keep that in mind. Go ahead. These are protests inspired by the harsh reality of everyday life in Cuba, not people uh, in another country. I'm saying that because I think there have been a range of accusations out there. As well, I'm not well. sure what she means. doesn't really matter what she means. But the harsh reality of people living in Cuba under those circumstances is what happens when you destroy the civil society, when you reject capitalism, when you reject constitutionalism, separation of powers, and all the protections our brilliant framers put in place presciently to ensure that we wouldn't wind up like a Cuba or a China or a Russia and the rest of it. Part of the problem we have in this country is, of course, a significant problem is the media. The media in our country are filled with low IQ individuals, individuals who haven't experienced much about life, individuals who live in a bubble, and individuals who despise the country. Every single one of these American Marxist movements spawned from Marxism. They endorse, they support every single one. They don't challenge any of them. Whether it's critical race theory or the degrowth movement dressed up as climate change, whether it's open borders, the transgender movement of all things, yes, they endorse every single one of them. Portia Siegelbaum, CBS News producer on CBS This Morning, let's blame Trump for the, for the crisis in Cuba. Hat tip newsbusters, cut three, go. 
On Cuban television, Diaz-Canel blamed the protest on the U.S. and its trade embargo for a severe impact on Cuba's recent economic downturn. The Trump administration passed many more regulations, many more sanctions against it, which basically has cut off all income coming into Cuba. Now that, that New Yorker uh, is a CBS News producer. Go ahead. Siegelbaum is a CBS News producer based in Cuba. I think the Biden administration, he at least said at the beginning he was going to review this policy and make changes, but nothing has happened. It's really perplexing, isn't it? She doesn't blame the Marxist, brutal, vile system in Cuba. Of course, they're free to get whatever they want from other countries, pretty much. We have a trade embargo, you see. That doesn't stop the communist Chinese or the fascistic Russians. How about they change the repressive government? CBS news producer never even enters her head. It's not even worth discussing. The American trade embargo. So it's America's fault, you see. It's America's fault. It's appalling. And then, of course, you have people who are trying to make a parallel argument between our country and Republicans in Cuba. Well, let me tell you something, ladies and gentlemen. Cuba, communist China, these communist regimes are the logical consequence of destroying individualism, liberty, a real, serious, academic related education, where there's academic freedom and free speech, the centralization of power, the centralization of economic decisions. I don't know how many more examples we need of inhumanity, impoverishment, police states that are linked to Marxism than we have now and have had in the past. And how groups like Black Lives Matter, simply because they wrap themselves in race, or Antifa or others, get away with building support among Americans, quote-unquote, elites, in the media, in entertainment, in basketball, and on and on and on. This is the consequence of this ideology. This is it. And so this is another learning moment for us, we the American people, when we see what's going on in Cuba. And the people are trying to rise up, and now this, the country's dark again. We can't see what's going on in there. The people in Iran tried to rise up. They were put down. Tiananmen Square. The people in China tried to rise up. They were put down. People in Hong Kong tried to protect their liberty. They were put down. How many more examples do we need? And yet the Democrat Party has aligned itself with these American Marxist movements. And its spokesmen dare to accuse those who stand for liberty and integrity in a voting system and so forth of doing what they are doing. And I'll explain more as the show proceeds. American Marxism is clearly the most important book I've written because of the times and because as I look back on it, you know, I finished it three months ago, 
It's relatable to almost everything that's going on in this country and throughout the world. It is impossible. Even one hour on Sean Hannity's show on Friday night, and he's very gracious to do that for me. And these other programs that I've been on. Fox and Friends Sunday, wonderful, wonderful hosts. I'll be on Fox and Friends tomorrow. I believe it's at 8 or 8.30 Eastern Time. But it's impossible to convey in any significant way what's in the book. It's something you have to read. I can explain, and I will explain behind this microphone and on Levin TV and Life, Liberty, and Levin, major aspects of this. Major aspects of this. But it's not possible to convey everything that's in the book, all the puzzle pieces that come together. And so that does require you to read it or get the audio and listen to it. But I'm going to do my very best, my very best to convey as much as I possibly can. Because we have got to draw a line in the sand now. We've got to defend our kids and our grandkids We've got to defend our borders. We've got to defend our economic system. We've got to defend our our mores and, and values. Because if we don't defend it, nobody else will and nobody else can. It's that simple. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. In today's digital age, where cyber threats loom larger than ever, safeguarding your personal information is paramount. So why is Congress considering a law that could put your credit card data at greater risk of being hacked and exposed to foreign networks? This Durbin Marshall credit card bill could jeopardize your financial data, make it more susceptible to cyber intrusions. It's a controversial bill that proposes a shift in billions of dollars worth of consumer transactions to payment networks that lack the robust security measures consumers rely on. Who could possibly want that? Well, the answer, woke corporate megastores seeking to inflate their multi-billion dollar profit margins. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill will undermine our safe and convenient payment systems and endanger your data security. It's time to take a stand. Visit electronicpaymentscoalition.org. Make your voice heard. Tell your senators to oppose the radical Durbin Marshall credit card bill paid for by the Electronic Payments Coalition. As long as you have people on uh, network television programs and cable television programs who are so obsessed and so hateful, the people of this country will despise the media. They will despise the corporatists that run the media. That is, the three suit types who stand behind the curtain. Joe Behar is a lunatic. She's low IQ. She's unhinged. She should be in a padded cell. She failed at radio. And yet she's so outrageous and so provocative, she's on this network show called The View. And of course, on The View, one tries to outstupid the next. But I think it's fair to say Joe Behar is the queen of stupid. Or the birthing person of stupid. Can I say that, Mr. Producer? 
So here she is on The View today, and I say, this, this contributes to the demise of this society. Cut five, go. You know, I despise a dictatorship. I despise authoritarianism. And I do not want the people... First of to- all, as you're splattering with your spittle all over the place, you do not despise dictatorship or despise authoritarianism. If it's dressed up in Bernie Sanders or AOC or dressed up as a Democrat... You'll be marching behind them, playing a drum. Go ahead. Suffer under that repressive regime. I do believe that the blockades need to be lifted so that the people don't suffer. You see, the blockades need to be lifted so the people don't suffer. That's the problem. Our blockades. Our blockades are the problem. I heard Nikki Haley earlier today say, when it comes to medicine and... That sort of thing. We don't prevent that getting into Cuba. And the people are tired of the failure of their health care system. Because Bernie Sanders type Obamacare is a failure. It doesn't work under any system. Go ahead. Food down there. It's outrageous. And you know what's outrageous? We're preventing food from getting to Cuba? We're not preventing food from getting to Cuba. Go ahead. This is why I rail against voters' rights in this country, because it is a it is a slippery slope to a dictatorship when people can't vote. And we have to watch our own democracy very carefully right now. You are such a buffoon. People can't vote in this country. If we take the numbers that have been presented to us, more people voted than ever before in American history. People can't vote in this country? And so we're on a slippery slope because people can't vote in this country? No, you buffoon. We're on a slippery slope because you really do not despise dictatorship. You really do not despise authoritarianism. And you really do not despise Cuba under the Castros. One dead, one alive. Neither did Obama. Neither did Sanders. Neither did the the Stooges. None of them. None of them denounced Cuba. But it's America's fault, ladies and gentlemen, even more than that. It's Donald Trump's fault. Of course, every president, Republican and Democrat, up to Barack Obama, up to Barack Obama, has seen Cuba to be the police state, communist state that it is. But Joy Behar on The View, no, no, you don't understand. It's our fault and it's Trump's fault. That's why somebody like this should get the hook. I'll be right back. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games. The new American Revolution starts here. The Mark Levin Show. Call in at 877-381-3811. We're going to wait until the book comes out tomorrow to really dig in. But I also am going to spend a little bit of time on the final chapter. There's only seven chapters in this book, and it's the longest book I've written. 
But we're going to dig into that chapter a little bit because that's the chapter we choose liberty and some of the things that we can do to claw our way out of the abyss. Because I know some of you are chomping at the bit on that. The reason for the other chapters, of course, is so we know exactly what we're dealing with. Uh, So when we institute these various strategies and tactics, they're instituted in a very smart way, and we pick them for a purpose. That's how you win political battles, that's how you win military battles, and that's how you win cultural battles. Otherwise, you're swinging wildly. We don't want to swing wildly. Now, that doesn't mean some people around the country aren't doing some of the things that I come up with. I can't possibly know everything that's going on, but these are things that I've thought through as being an activist my entire life, mission-oriented my entire life, um, and one of the few actually in broadcasting who has been, which is why I can write a book like this. But one of the things we have to do is unmask American Marxism. We have to explain it. We have to explain its... uh, uh, the, the basis behind it, who's behind it, so when we're challenged, we can uh, address it. Uh, if we face ridicule and attack, we can address that or ignore that as strategy compels. Um, and there are things that we absolutely can do that aren't being done and certainly not being undone, done at the level that they need to be done <clears throat> if we're to claw our way back. So I want to encourage you, have this book show up at your house tomorrow or your place of business tomorrow, or your workplace tomorrow. Just order it online. And after tomorrow, that is, excuse me, after today and starting tomorrow, the book will be available in Costco, Barnes & Noble, Walmart. Supposed to be the airport outlets, but typically it's not. I don't know what they do. Hide them in the back. All the warehouse stores. Books a Million, all the independent bookstores. Wherever you shop, that's where this book is supposed to be available. There are going to be 800,000 copies of this book out there, Mr. Producer. Not all of them will be first edition. If you want first edition, you've got to get in there now, get in there tonight, and order it online. At some point, it won't matter. At some point, it won't matter. And here's the thing. Once you're done with this book, you're going to feel really good about yourselves. You're going to be able to talk about these issues. You're going to be able to to dig into these issues. You're going to be able to be an activist in small ways and large, depending on you. Whether you drive a truck or Uber or taxi or bus, whether you're a cop or a firefighter or emergency personnel, Whether you're a teacher, a real teacher, or a professor, a real professor. Whether you protect our border, whomever you are. If you're an electrician or a plumber. If you're a lawyer or a doctor. If you're a housewife. It doesn't matter. This book is written for all of you. The only advice I give you is this. Take your time with it. One page at a time. We are confronting a lot of movements at the same time. That's the goal, to overwhelm us and to dispirit us. My goal is to unmask them, unravel them, piece by piece, and then we put them back together again, and then you know exactly what's going on, and then we have 
I have some suggestions on how to confront them. None of which involves violence like them. All of which, not just mostly peaceful, but completely peaceful. We're not going to get a fair break in the media. That's the way it is. We're adults here, and we'll deal with it. They're not our audience. There are tens of millions of us. Tens of millions of us. We outnumber them, and we have resources. We don't have to play their game. We don't have to embrace their narrative. We don't have to digest their propaganda. Which is why I boldly named the book American Marxism. I'm tired of calling them by the names they want to be called, rather than the name that they are. Now, there's still a little hesitancy on TV among some, still a little hesitancy among the politicians. You know, these socialists, these radicals, these leftists, they'll eventually join in and they'll jump to the front of the parade. That's okay by me. But that also tells me they haven't read the book. Or that their agenda is not our agenda. We can't play around anymore. We can't pretend we're actually doing something when we're not doing anything. That's my concern. And look, either we will build this national movement, or we won't. Either they're better at it than we are, or they're not. That's the bottom line. Now, this this is not an esoteric discussion. This is not theoretical. It's not an abstraction. It's here. It's here. You've seen it in the classrooms with the kids. But that's not the only place. It's in the workplace. You can't even go to Disneyland or Disney World without, without seeing what's taking place. You can't even watch TV anymore. Even the History Channel or A&E or, 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 or Discovery without propaganda pouring into your house through the television. It's, it's ridiculous. You can't even watch sporting events without these dim-witted athletes, not all, but too damn many of them, regurgitating this stuff. And they're broadcasters for the most part. So, unless we arm ourselves with knowledge, unless we arm ourselves with strategies and tactics, unless we understand what we're up against, we will fail. We will fail. I'm not suggesting you read 25 books or 125 books or hundreds and hundreds of books like I've had to do. Just one. Hopefully your libraries will carry the book. That way those of you who can't afford it can get to the library and purchase it. I have my uh, doubts. I don't know what they'll do. But here's what's going to happen eventually. If enough of you acquire this book, and you're walking in an airport with this book, or you're walking outside, you're going to be able to notice that's a patriot. That's somebody who loves the country. That's somebody who believes in the capitalist system. That's somebody who rejects these racist Marxist ideologies. Say hello to the person. It feels good. We have numbers. You'll notice this revolution that they're pushing. 
There's no groundswell for this. The great mass of the American people aren't rising up and demanding the end to their economic system. The great mass of the American people aren't rising up, calling 65% of the American people racists. The great mass of the American people aren't rising up, rejecting a colorblind society and Martin Luther King for Louis Farrakhan and the Marxists. The great masses of society aren't rising up and say, yes, we should shrink our economy and limit our ability to create wealth and opportunity, especially for our children and grandchildren. The great masses aren't supporting that. The great masses aren't saying, yes, please indoctrinate my kid in college. Please indoctrinate them at some phenomenal expense, some confiscatory amount, so when they come out of college, we don't even get along as a family anymore. Well, who's doing this? Turn on television. You can't even watch these Sunday shows. They're all full of crap. vast majority of them. By Democrat operatives pretending to be journalists. And journalism. Don't let that static get in your head. Stop reading the New York Times and the Washington Post. Stop listening to these people. They're crackpots. They're demagogues. They're propagandists. The New York Times in particular has a horrific history, a human rights history that, that is so grotesque. And the Washington Post isn't far behind. NBC, CBS, ABC. You can't get a job there as an anchor if you're an honest journalist. You've got to push the propaganda, baby. So put them out of your minds. Push them away. And these corporations are in for a huge surprise after we're done talking. Huge surprise. As far as I'm concerned. We have been very passive. Now we vote. But we pay for everything. We make the country work. Vast majority of us don't ask for a damn thing. And we are attacked our characters are smeared they seek to degrade us and dispirit us purpose of this book is to rally us to galvanize us and to give us reasons to do it and to let you know you do matter each and every one of you and we need each and every one of you we don't care about color We don't care about what your faith is, what your background is. If you love the country, that's all that matters. And we may even love it for some different reasons. And we're going to put our differences aside. But truth is truth and reality is reality. The Democrat Party is the most powerful political force for American Marxism. Based on its support for all of these these movements. Under the leadership so to speak, of Joe Biden. This can't be ignored any longer. Of Chuck Schumer, of Nancy Pelosi. They will do anything for power. They will do anything to empower their party. It's 50-50 in the Senate. They have no mandate. She's got a four-vote lead in the House. They have no mandate, none whatsoever. And so what happens? Biden, who talks against autocracy, is the biggest autocrat in the nation. 
issuing executive orders controlling the private sector, controlling women's sports, controlling what goes on in the classroom, pushing the agenda of the Marxists in this country. Now, I know this word upsets the Marxists who pretend they're otherwise. Now, there's the out of the closets, but there's a whole phalanx of people who pretend otherwise. They largely embrace the Marxist economic system. I don't mean they say in every respect, you know, grab the property. No, no, no. I said it's an Americanized form. There was a time when the media were honest about this, back in 1989, and I pointed out in the book, in the uh, second chapter, an entire, an entire column written about how Marxism is far more acceptable in colleges and universities, back in 1989, because they've broken themselves into these various pieces for feminism, for immigration, for this, that, and the other. It's exactly what they've done. So we're not going to put up with censorship. We're not going to put up with intimidation. We're not going to put out with bald-faced lying, which tries to sugarcoat this stuff. And the only way we're going to win this battle is to be honest with ourselves and honest with others about what's taking place in this country. You want to talk about insurrection. Look at the NEA and the AFT, how they've taken over our classrooms, how they've taken over textbooks, how they've taken over the the entire learning process from us. We pay for everything. We have no say. That's got to stop. We don't even have access to information. That's got to stop. Our universities and colleges are killing us with these tenured Marxists and radicals. Well, how does that happen? We need to find out. And who's paying for that? We are. We know so little about universities and colleges. We know so little about the NEA and the AFT and what they're doing to our classrooms and our kids. That's got to change. And much more. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. And so the lesson from Huber is what? That we should destroy Republican legislatures because they want voting that has integrity? Which has been far more liberalized before the pandemic? But liberalizing voting doesn't mean destroying the franchise so that people who are voting legitimately have their vote neutralized by people who are fixing the system, stuffing the ballot, getting people to vote who aren't legally supposed to vote which receives almost no attention. You're not allowed to discuss it. And you see hacks. Everybody named Joyce seems to be a hack, except you conservatives out there, of course. And because of that, we're on the slippery slope to Cuba? No, no, that has nothing to do with it. The Democrat Party has embraced every single one of these American Marxist movements. Every single one. And every single one of them is attacking one of our systems or institutions or traditions after another. It's not progress. It's regress. Attacking the economic system. Attacking our border sovereignty and security. Attacking 
what goes on in our classroom and indoctrinating our children in filth and hate as if they're attending a Louis Farrakhan event. It's just disgusting. And instead, we don't talk about the Constitution and liberty and unalienable rights and private property rights. None of that. Almost none of that's being taught in our classroom. Almost none of that is being studied in our colleges and universities. Almost none of that is promoted or even mentioned in our media today. Well, we've got to do this. We can't leave it to somebody else. I'll be right back. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, America. I'm Mark Levin. Our number is 877 Mr. Call Screener tells me some of you are already getting your books. You got them today. Well, I'm glad. Very glad. Now, what is social movement theory? It's widely taught in our colleges and universities, you know. What is collective identity? collective beliefs, collective consciousness. That's taught widely in our colleges and universities, too. What is oppositional protest or combat ready or activism that includes violence? That's taught in our universities and colleges, too. The dehumanization of the individual. That's taught, too. And this is what I talk about in in the first chapter and much more. About how you breed mobs. How you breed Black Lives Matter. How you breed Antifa. How you breed monument attackers and book burners and all the rest. Because that's what's happening. You didn't breed them. Your children are being indoctrinated and re-educated. Now... Why do they hate America? Indoctrination and brainwashing. Americanized adaption of Marxism. John Dewey, back in 1928, had an enormous impact on our public educational system. And still does. Was a big fan of Stalin's educational system. And Stalin's educational system was obviously state-run propaganda. But he thought this would unite the thinking and the direction of the people, of course. Freeing people from their own history, their own customs, their own traditions, and existing mores. This is what's going on across the board in this country. And this is what's being promoted as well. What is critical race theory? Since we spent a lot of time on this issue, and it's not the only one, and we will continue to, but we need to spend a lot of time on all of them. What is it? Well, it's born of critical theory. A Marxist movement. Yuri Harris at Quillette explains that critical theory draws heavily on Karl Marx's notion of ideology. Because the bourgeoisie controlled the means of production, Marx suggested they controlled the culture. 
So the laws, beliefs, and morality of society reflected the interests of the bourgeoisie. And importantly, people were unaware that this was the case. In other words, capitalism created a situation where the interests of a particular group of people, those who controlled society, were made to appear to be universal truths and values, when in fact they were not. So the founders of critical theory developed this notion. By identifying the distorting effects power had on society's beliefs and values, they believed they could achieve a more accurate picture of the world. And when people saw things as they really were, they would liberate themselves. Theory, theory, they suggested, always serves the interests of certain people. Traditional theory, because it's uncritical towards power, automatically serves the powerful. While critical theory because it unmasks these interests, serves the powerless. Although theory is political, they said, and by choosing critical theory over traditional theory, one chooses to challenge the status quo. In other words, the majority, the people in charge, the white dominant society, is spoon-feeding this stuff. And we need to break from this. In fact, we need to destroy this. Herbert Marcuse, you'll remember that name, I think, by the time we're done, is credited with hatching the critical theory ideology from which the racial, gender, and other critical theory-based movements were launched in America. He was a German-born Hegelian Marxist ideologue of the Franklin School of Political Theorists. Now, those of you who read Rediscovering Americanism, you know what all that means. But Marxism, we've talked about before. Hegelism, we've talked about before. But that's not the primary point here. Marcuse is best known for attempting to explain why these so-called workers or proletariat in the United States and elsewhere have not risen up to overthrow the capitalist system of the ruling class, the bourgeoisie. And so we are forced to plunge further into Marcuse's so-called scholarship because he's the big daddy behind critical race theory, critical theory, period. And so in addition to his multiple books, which are monotonous and in some ways insane, there was one paper he wrote in 1965 that drew my attention called Repressive Tolerance, which is a direct attack on the United States. It's a perverse title, if not bizarre. It's a twist on logic and reality. Here's what he wrote in part. This essay examined... Now, why am I paying attention to this guy? Because our enemies love him and have embraced him over the decades. He's the grand poopah, really, over critical race theory. He wrote, this essay examines the idea of tolerance in our advanced industrial society. The conclusion reached is that the realization of the objective of tolerance would call for intolerance towards prevailing policies, attitudes, opinions, and the extension of tolerance to politics. In other words, what he's saying is that, oh, they talk about tolerance, but they don't tolerate, you know, communists, Marxists, neo-Marxists. He says, in other words, today tolerance appears again as what it was in its origins at the beginning of the modern period, a partisan goal. A subversive, liberating notion and practice. Wait a minute. Tolerance is subversive? 
Conversely, what is proclaimed and practiced as tolerance today is in many of its most effective manifestations serving the cause of oppression. In other words, a tolerant society is a head fake. Stick with me on this. It's a head fake. It's only tolerant to a point, you see. If you seek to overthrow it or fundamentally alter it, it's no longer tolerant. So it's not really tolerant at all, he says. And as I explained so far, Marcuse, tolerance is actually a ploy instituted by the powerful and conniving forces of the bourgeois against the unsuspecting proletariat in which the masses are duped and programmed to support their oppressors. So tolerance is used to suppress the people. Is that not insanity, Mr. Producer? And this crap is eaten up, chewed up. He went on, tolerance is an end of itself. He's trying to he's, he's trying to undermine what is a tolerant, beneficent society by saying the whole point of American tolerance and beneficence is to enshrine its hate, to enshrine its racism, to enshrine its imperialism. He says tolerance is an end of itself. The elimination of violence, the reduction of suppression to the extent required for protecting men and animals from cruelty and aggression are preconditions for the creation of a humane society. Such a society does not yet exist, of course. Progress toward it, perhaps more than before, arrested by violence and suppression. He goes on and on. So the public is non-Marxist or non-revolutionary because they're senseless. They don't realize that they are oppressed, and their existence is at the service of the rich and the powerful who control the society. Now, this would later be projected upon or extended to minorities, people of color, who do not throw in with the Marxist rebellion, who do not throw in with the likes of Black Lives Matter or Antifa or equivalent organizations. There's something wrong with them. They've been snookered. They've been sucked into this white-dominant society through diversity and tolerance. But if you step out, you try and overthrow it, you try and fundamentally change it, then you'll see how intolerant it is. Now, listen to how insane that is. But this is the stuff that's in the heads of the leaders of Black Lives Matter. And there's much more here. I'm not going to read the whole book because he's reading the book. I'm just explaining it. So if you're a tolerant society, if you're a beneficent society, If you're an open society, that's all a trick. Now think of how bizarre this is. Because if you're the opposite, of course, you're a Marxist or fascistic or some kind of totalitarian society. But the American society is a society that embraces, a society that is civil. That's what we are. Look around the world. Look at Cuba right now and so forth. But for Marcuse, trying to figure out a way to tear it down, he said, see how intolerant they are of us, we radicals? And more of the people in the United States, he would argue, would be just like us, the Marxists, would rise up, the great proletariat, the great masses, the great middle class would rise up and overthrow this country if it could break the bonds from the tolerance of this society. He and his ilk trashed the civil rights movement as a fraud. 
They trashed the various statutes that were passed to improve the lot of minorities. And they trashed, if not openly behind the scenes, but certainly in writings, Martin Luther King and the notion of a colorblind society. Why? Because it doesn't get them where they want to go. How can Black Lives Matter argue for a colorblind society when it's turning black against white? It can't. How can critical race theory survive if you believe in a colorblind society? It can't. That's why what's happening in our classrooms, paid for by us with these teachers and these administrators and these materials that are poison, is so appalling. Because they're rejecting Martin Luther King. They're rejecting a colorblind society. They're embracing Farrakhan. They're embracing separatism and nationalism of that sort. And Marxism. Which is the basis for the entire theory. You've got to destroy American history. You've got to destroy the connection between the American people and their founding documents. You've got to destroy the connection between the American people and the founders. You've got to burn books, literally or not. You've got to pull monuments down. You've got to create questions and doubt about the American experiment. You've got to do all those things. Why? To end racism? No, to end the country. Which is exactly what Marx preached. This is the Americanization of it. Now, it's not just in the area of race. It's in other areas, too, which I explain in the book and will explain in the days and weeks ahead. You parents who are protesting critical race theory, you're correct. But it's not just these vicious, poisonous lies about race. It's not just the the attempt to wrap scholarship around Louis Farrakhan's bigotry and racism, or to, or to wrap scholarship around the Marxist agenda. This is why it's important to read the information in here. So you're not, if you're accused, oh, you're just running around saying, Martin, no, I'm running around saying the truth and telling the truth. And you're the liars and you're the censors and you're the propagandists. That's why we don't care what Joy Reid says. She's a liar. We don't care what Jake Tapper says. He's a liar. We don't care what the same media that tried to destroy the Trump supporters and Trump, but more than that, the same media day in and day out who lie to us, and they know they lie to us, who push their agenda, who push their social activism, if you will, and so forth and so on. And how do we know we do that? I wrote an entire book on that, on freedom of the press. But I... I put a fine point on it and added information to it in an additional chapter in American Marxism. Because they have to be addressed as part of the issue here. Because they are. I'm looking this up now. And that chapter is called Propaganda, Censorship, and Subversion. It's not not mostly what our media do today. Not all, but too much. Propaganda, Censorship, and Subversion. Well, where does that come from? You'll learn all that, too. I'll be right back. Lovin.
must be viewed through race. All things in America are racist. All things in America were built by a white, racist, dominant society. Except the good things, of course. Mr. Callscreen, I didn't realize Mr. Callscreen was reading the book. I signed one to him last week and to Mr. Producer. Mr. Callscreener said, I'm really getting through the book. He said, and I'm just telling you what he said. You know Richie, is gonna, he has his own podcast. He substitutes here from time to time. He said, it's succinct. Your word choice is incredible. You want to move from one chapter to the next. It's exhilarating and impactful. That's what he... Richie, open your mic. I didn't say that. You said that to me during the break, correct? And you're not blowing smoke. Not blowing smoke. I really meant it. Everybody should pick up a copy. All right. Thank you. But he's, he reads this sort of stuff. So does Mr. Producer. He's in the middle of it. We've got a very smart crew here. Very small crew. What are there, two of us, Mr. Producer? You two and me? And they're both named Rich. It's a funny thing. And neither of them are rich. That's another funny thing. Uh, but no, they're very good guys. You're going to learn a lot, and this is a good thing. And you'll be able to teach your children and your grandchildren what's intersectionality, what about transgenderism in this social construct that they attack. What is lat-crit? What's that all about? And you're not going to be overwhelmed by it. I don't really think you are. This isn't written in a way that is intended, oh my God, I'm overwhelmed, I'm drowning. No. It's we take on one by one by one. And unravel it for you. Now, by the way, just a reminder. It's coming up this Saturday. I'll be hosting an exclusive virtual discussion and Q&A, question and answer, for American Marxism this coming Saturday, July 17th, from 1 to 2 p.m. Eastern Time. Anybody in the country can participate. Hello! Anybody in the country can participate. We're not doing a lot of this. But I want to do some to give you all an opportunity. And my friends at Bookends Bookstore in Ridgewood, New Jersey, which is a wonderful independent bookstore, Bookends. And it's a place that I go to every two years. They will be co-hosting this event. And every ticket purchased from their website will include one access to the virtual discussion and a signed book plate copy of my new book. There's not only going to be a few ways to get a signed book this time because I can't do a, a live events. Barnes & Noble said we can't do a live event. It's not just them. Uh, but we are going to work with Barnes & Noble on something I'll tell you about all this in the coming week. So join me at this event. Go to Bookends website, www.book-ends.com. Book-ends.com. Mr. Producer, why don't you pop it up there? Get the tickets. Attend the viral event. I really look forward to as many of you participating as possible. Um, you know, the sky's the limit on the number of people who can participate. And if you have a question during normal business hours tomorrow, you can call them, 201-445-0726. I'll be right back. The media mad. Mark Levin, call in with your outrage. 877-381-3811. Ladies and gentlemen, you're something a very big, big that's going on in this country. You're something very big going on in this country, and you're part of it. I'll just give you an example. 
Liberty and Tyranny was the biggest selling book on principled conservatism in decades. In the first week, all sales, including pre-sales, including everything, 117,000. The pre-orders for American Marxism, before they're on sale in a single retail store, is almost 260,000. Now that should drive the attention. That should draw the attention of the establishment in Washington, D.C. That should draw the attention of Republicans in Washington, D.C. That should draw the attention of Democrats in Washington, D.C. That should draw the attention of the media. And all of them, for different reasons, should be saying, holy mackerel, or something like that. What I'm trying to say is, liberty and tyranny wound up in the hands of 1.5 million people. I have no idea what American Marxism will do. Liberty and tyranny had long legs. It lasted a long time. But it came out simultaneous with the Tea Party movement. We don't have that kind of national coalesced movement yet. But my personal mission and effort here is that we do exactly that. That we have a national effort and mission here. And by the end of this week I'll explain what I have in mind. But when you think about this, don't think you're alone. Or if you're in Loudoun County or some other county, don't think you're alone. Or if you're a teacher or professor and you're upset about what's going on with all these radicals pushing that, don't think you're alone. If you're an entrepreneur and you feel like you're being overwhelmed, you're not alone. Whatever walk of life you're from, whether you went to college or didn't go to college, whether you work with your hands or work with your brain, it doesn't matter. People are upset about what's taking place in this country. People didn't think this could take place in this country, but it is. But it is. Ideas have, have power. Books have power. Words have power. And that's what we're about here. That's what you're about. You can listen to anything else you want. You can watch TV. You can eat your dinner. You don't need to be paying any attention to me. And yet you do. I'm here almost 20 years. 6 to 9 p.m. Eastern. 3 to 6 p.m. Pacific. Every night, weeknight. Five days a week. And you're here. You're here for a reason. Not to hear me regurgitate what everybody said earlier today. Or last night or whatever. I wouldn't even know what to regurgitate since I don't hear most of it. But this is our national town hall meeting. This is where we meet. Something is happening. Something big is afoot. I believe it. I could be wrong. I hope I'm not wrong. But I think I'm right.
And I think that's great. I think it's it's fantastic if it holds. We have a teacher's unions, two teacher unions essentially in this country. They're political operations for the Democrat Party and these radical Marxist movements. They're right in the middle of it. Landmark Legal Foundation, headed by our great president, Pete Hegseth, Pete Hegseth, Pete Hutchison. And I was president there for, for a while, now I'm chairman, but he and our buddies there do the heavy lifting. We have filed internal revenue service complaints against the NEA because it has a very nebulous line between its nonprofit aspects and its union aspects. The reason why there will never be school choice if the Democrats have their way is because this union is central to their power and their domination. Central to their power and domination on the national scene, central to their power and domination in every inner city in this country. They don't give a damn about these little black kids and brown kids and so forth and so on. If they did, they would allow competition, but they reject it. And there are ways to address them. And we need to address the NEA and the AFT. They have declared war against us, parents and grandparents. They've declared war against our kids. They're carrying the ball for critical race theory and all the other critical theories. You know, we have to bust up these big corporations. We hear about this all the time, but the antitrust laws specifically exclude unions. This is the worst union. These two unions are the worst unions on the face of the planet. The worst on the face of the planet. Corporations in America, they don't believe in capitalism. They don't believe in competition. They're willing to do and pay whatever they have to do and pay for protection. It's now protection racket. They've thrown in with the Democrat Party because they think the Democrat Party is going to control our government and politics for decades to come. So they've thrown in with them. And the radicalization that is the Democrat Party. There are things we can do that we don't do. That we'll be talking about. Things that we can do that we do not do that we'll be talking about. What about Antifa and Black Lives Matter? How is it that they get a pass? They go into communities, they destroy communities, they destroy businesses. They attack homes, they break things, they hurt people. Why are they ignored? What can we do as individual citizens? I'm going to give you a taste of it. Give you a little taste. We citizens, as I write, way in the back, 274. We need not wait for government at all levels to act. There are private civil lawsuits that can be filed against these organizations and individual writers, depending on each state's statutes, that strike at the finances of these groups and individuals and hopefully help compensate victims for their damages. Possible legal actions, causes of actions, might include intentional infliction of emotional distress, tortious interference with contracts, trespass to land and chattels, 
and conversion of property. State and federal civil RICO lawsuits are possibilities in the most excessive cases, especially with the same organization showing up at the scene of violent riots. The IRS can be asked, complaints can be filed to investigate the financial issues related to organizations like Black Lives Matter. And there's more. We're not without power. We can strike them at their financial center. Individual citizens. And there's more that we can do. And there are things we can do about colleges and universities. And there are things we can do about the NEA and the AFT. And there are things we can do about corporations. I don't hide them. They're right there in Chapter 7. And we'll talk about it. And you may have your own experiences and ideas, too. We want to hear them. We want to hear them. Executive orders. Executive orders don't have the power statues. They come and they go. The reason why Biden put them in so many in his first, second, third day in office is so if he's there for four years, they can, they can be enshrined in our culture, enshrined in our system. The state attorneys general in Republican states, some have done it, not enough. Every one of those damn executive orders ought to be litigated. By multiple states coming together, every single one of them, nothing should be left to stand. Nothing. I have links in the last chapter to legal organizations, to organizations that can help you with shareholder attendance, organizations that can help you identify what's going on in our colleges and universities, links that can help you figure out how to file IRS complaints, all kinds of stuff. But that has to wait a little bit till more of you have the book in hand so we can go through it. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. The suggestions in here about how we can help police officers, too. There's a lot of suggestions. And not just throwing things against the wall. Links, sources, and so forth and so on. This is a very different kind of book. It's a very, very unique kind of book. Um, And so uh, we shall see what we shall see. And I'll tell you now, one of the things that I talk about in the last chapter here, that we choose liberty, or as my wife calls it, the pushback chapter, is we should also, as a general matter, and in specific tactical circumstances, use tactics of the left. You heard me talk about this many months ago, even before I concluded the book, that we should BDS, that is, boycott, divest, sanction, certain sporting events or sporting leagues, certain corporations, certain colleges and universities, and I mean that. On the other hand, we should strongly support as a group others remember the Goya situation when they came under attack and everybody rallied for that company and should have 
There's also Alinsky tactics. We have got to take our mittens off and put our brass knuckles on. And I don't mean that literally, because we don't preach violence here. I mean it figuratively. We ought to stop rolling over. Alinsky tactics. Target, whether it's an individual, company, entity, whatever it is. Personalize. And expose. And that's going to have to be done. Cloward and Piven comes down to basically overwhelming the system, collapsing the system, and then taking over the system. Well, we should overwhelm their systems and collapse their systems, and we can talk about ways to do that later. There's no reason colleges and universities should be funded every year at the same or a higher level. Quite the contrary. We should BDS these, these, uh, corp- these uh, colleges and universities. And we're going to need the help of state legislatures to do it. Republican state legislatures. We're funding our own demise, ladies and gentlemen. And we need to know how professors are hired. How faculty hires faculty. How does somebody become a dean over a particular area within a college? How are all these decisions made? Who makes all these decisions? We're paying for every damn piece of it. And yet they're in a cocoon. They're immune from our review. That's got to stop. That can stop. I'll explain how. Teachers unions, I already mentioned. But I can't go through it all. And when hundreds and hundreds of thousands of you have your copies of American Marxism, we can do this much more easily. And that begins tomorrow. And I believe strongly each one of you are going to be the Thomas Paines of your communities. Each one of you are going to become a leader. You don't have to change your life altogether. Some of you are extraordinarily busy. But you can be supportive of different actions. You can participate in certain actions. This can be done. That's the American spirit. That's who we are. That's who the colonists were. I'll be right back. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post... Deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, America. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811. 877-381-3811. We'll take some of your calls this hour, of course. It's an excellent piece in the opinion section of the Wall Street Journal by Vivek Ramaswamy. Trump can win his case against tech giants. Now this includes some of the things we've been talking about on a more general scale. That these tech giants are working in concert with political entities including political entities now with links to the actual government. So it's really a fiction that they're purely private companies doing their own thing. They're private companies doing their own thing with and at the behest of a Democrat party. And the Democrat party is, of course, involved in 
sending Democrats into governmental positions. He writes, the media is paying Donald Trump's First Amendment lawsuits against Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Mr. Trump's complaint omits important precedents, facts, and claims for relief, but there's a strong case to be made that social media censorship violates the Constitution, he says. If his lawyers do better in court than in their initial filing, Mr. Trump can win. Actually, the initial filing's quite good. It's true the First Amendment ordinarily applies to government rather than private companies, but the central claim in Mr. Trump's class action lawsuit that the defendants should be treated as state actors and are bound by the First Amendment when they engage in selective political censorship has precedent to back it up. Their censorship constitutes state action because the government granted them immunity from legal liability, threatened to punish them if they allowed disfavored speech, and colluded with them in choosing targets for censorship. The Supreme Court held in Norwood v. Harris in 1973 that the government may not induce, encourage, or promote private persons to accomplish what it is constitutionally forbidden to accomplish. The High Court has repeatedly held that federal immunity preempting state law can transform a privacy party's conduct, that is, a private party's conduct, into state action subject to constitutional scrutiny. And they point to Railroad Employees Department versus Hans in 1956, where the justices found state action in union employer agreements because Congress had passed a statute immunizing such agreements from liability under state law. So what he's saying is this patina of government interaction and government overlay with these uh, big tech companies is clear. That they're not just operating on their own as private companies. It says the growing body of evidence suggests that social media companies have voluntarily worked with Democratic officials to censor content of the latter, which is disfavored. In Brentwood Academy versus Tennessee Secondary School Athletic Association, a 2001 case, the High Court held that state action exists that the private party's conduct results from significant encouragement, either overt or covert, if the private party is a willful participant in joint activity. In other words, stooges. That is, if these big tech operations are basically stooges for one political party, and the, I might add, the agenda and policies of, of the existing administration, then it can't claim that it's simply a private entity in this sense in order to escape scrutiny and even to escape challenge. He writes, Trump has another path to legal victory, even if he loses on the state action claim. State legislatures, most recently in Florida, have begun to impose non-discrimination and common carrier requirements on big tech platforms, Opponents say these laws violate the company's First Amendment rights, but if so, how could similar non-discrimination laws have been imposed for decades on telephone companies? Opponents also say these laws are preempted by Section 230, but as Justice Clarence Thomas observed in his concurrence in a case called Biden v. Knight First Amendment Institute, Section 230 is arguably unconstitutional if interpreted to preempt state laws against viewpoint discrimination. Mr. Trump failed to assert this claim under Florida law, though he could amend his complaint before trial to do so. 
Mr. Trump's critics are mistaken to think the claims he raises are completely novel, but the case is unprecedented in another way. The staggering scale of big tech's power to restrict speech. No company in American history is so comprehensively silenced elected officials or prevented them from communicating with citizens. Worse, they did so at the behest of and in careful coordination with government leaders in the ascendant opposition as it gained power, meaning the Democrat Party. I agree with this. 1924, Commerce Secretary Herbert Hoover warned against the concentration of corporate power in the radio industry. Cannot allow any single person or group to place themselves in a position where they can censor the material which shall be broadcast to the public. Almost a century later, the danger he foretold has been realized. Mr. Trump's case provides an opportunity to address it. Mr. Ramswamy is correct that you cannot seriously argue, based on the facts, that these big tech companies are independent private companies functioning based on their own set of standards and rules. As a matter of fact, even recently, there have been emails uncovered showing that Zuckerberg was having email communications with Fauci, as pointed out in this article, too. Zuckerberg is a public actor. Some $400 million he poured in the election process, washed it through organizations, to promote these drop boxes in Democrat precincts and areas, as the president explained, President Trump last night at CPAC. That is all true. So the case can be made. You get into federal court. They can withstand summary judgment, and they should, but these judges, I don't trust them. Then you can conduct a discovery, including depositions, including interrogatories, including uh, document searches. And I assume that would mean email, as you can demonstrate some of uh, Zuckerberg's emails already uh, show evidence. And furthermore, as I said, he poured approximately $400 million into the last campaign and washed it through various nonprofit organizations. I suppose he even got a tax deduction for it. So these companies don't have clean hands. They're not just, oh, look at that, private companies out there doing their thing. Now, they're private companies that in many ways are surrogates of the Democrat Party and now the current administration. And they have a lot of lawyers. The lawyers could have told them not to do it, but obviously the, uh, the potentates that run these various companies want to do it. They are activists. And that's what they did. They wanted to affect the campaign, and they did. And they also now have reached far beyond that Remember the censorship with uh, the Hunter Biden story, where they, they even removed the nation's oldest newspaper, the New York Post. They removed their ability to, to communicate and post on those platforms. And anybody who disagreed with the going theory about this, that, or the other, they came out of the Democrat Party or the Biden campaign and so forth, they were punished. The idea that they can treat an ex-president like he doesn't exist when he has tens of millions of people who want to hear what he says and write and so forth and so on, while at the same time allowing Hamas, allowing the Islamo-Nazis in Iran, allowing China and others to post pretty much whatever they want. That further demonstrates what a fraud these, these companies are. 
So the Democrats are never going to take 230 away from them. They understand now that these are powerful political corporations. And as I said last hour, these companies do not believe in capitalism. They're corporatists. This is a protection racket now. When they side with the Democrats, even if the Democrats are going to raise their taxes and increase their regulations and so forth, they can buy enough influence and enough power to punish any competition. See, they're used to working with the communist Chinese regime in China. Zuckerberg is. Bizarro is. That runs Twitter and so forth and so on. Google, no problem. Just like Nike, just like the NBA and all the rest. So it's easy to work with the Democrats. Just take their orders the way they do from Xi. And they'll be protected. At least fundamentally protected. So the president has a good case, but we may not have good, good uh, judges. That'll make the difference. I'll be right back. Mark Levin. All right, let's take some calls here and see what you're thinking about. But I do need to mention this. Uh, the Reagan Library. Let's see here. I just got a message from the Reagan Library. Sold out for the main room, sold out for overflow. However, if you want a signed book, if you want to come in person and get a signed book, you're more than welcome to do so. Uh, What they do is in order to get a guaranteed signature that day, you would need to pre-purchase the book through the Reagan Library so they can track it and make sure you're able to get in line and get the signature. So I want to encourage those of you, if that's uh, something you're interested in doing, I don't get to California much anymore. You can go to reaganfoundation.org slash Levin, reaganfoundation.org slash L-E-V-I-N. And uh, once the space is in line, they have a very fascinating formula, and it's very accurate for figuring out how many people can get in line to to get their books signed based on the amount of time we have. And I'm going to be there four hours signing books. Uh, You can do that. I'd still love to meet you. So um, you would pre-purchase the book, and then you can get in line and and, uh, get it personalized. There's not going to be a lot. Get the signature is what I'm trying to say. Um, It's not going to be a lot of uh, opportunities for that uh, due to how... um, The various states are dealing with, still, the remnants of this virus. It's incredible. Everything should be open, but it's not. So um, it is at the Reagan Library. So you would need to pre-purchase the book through the Reagan Library, get your slot in line, and I want to encourage you to do it as fast as possible because uh, as the other areas sold out, this will sell out too. ReaganFoundation.org slash Levin. ReaganFoundation.org slash Levin. We can pre-purchase the book through the Reagan Library, uh, get a, uh, a guarantee, place in line, a guarantee signature. The more the merrier. I'd love to see as many of you as possible. I truly do. Um, and uh, we love the Reagan Library. Our buddy John Highbush is the best of the best. Melissa Giller is the best of the best. Uh, the whole team there. It's just one of my favorite places. And as you know, I campaigned for Reagan in 76 and 80. I served in his administration for eight years. Uh, it really brings back memories there. And there's a bench there um, that that I uh, 
supported. Uh, that is a plaque in honor of my parents as well. And of course, uh, the president, Mrs. Reagan, are buried there. And you can make a whole day of it, those of you who are, who are coming just to have your book signed. So one more time, if you're going to do it, you got to do it. Because I'm telling you, this sells out too. And I'd love to see as many of you as possible. ReaganFoundation.org slash Levin. ReaganFoundation.org slash L-E-V-I-N. And you can sign up to pre-purchase the book. You'll have a guaranteed slot in line, a guarantee uh, signing. I will guarantee I sign your book. Uh, and uh, you'll, be, you'll still be there, the whole genre. It's just a wonderful, wonderful thing where all the patriots are together. I always look forward to this. All right. Now we're going to take some calls as I move around here. Give me a second. I've got to pull up the uh, call screen, which I'm doing. All right. Here we go. Let's go to Laura. Tallahassee, Florida, XM Satellite. Laura, how are you? Hi, good evening. How are you? Very well, thank you. Awesome. Um, thank you for everything you're doing. Um, and I've already pre-ordered your book, so I'm really excited to, to read that. Um, thank you very much. Me. And I, I, of course, and I wanted to touch on a couple of things, if that's okay. Earlier when you were talking with Sean on his show, um, he mentioned that communism and its manifestation is a failure. And I have to disagree with that. I'm not sure where you stand on that. It's not a failure. It's intended. It's it's. It does what it's intended to do, what it's meant to do. It's meant to create poverty. It's meant to create suffering and all the rest of it. It's not I, I think I, I, I think what he means in the context is uh, what's preached through communism or what Marx preached. He didn't preach terror and poverty and all the rest. They basically preach um, nirvana, paradise, that sort of thing. The, that which is not only impracticable but impossible. And I'm, I believe that's what Sean means. The breakdown of the of the human mind. And the yeah, well, of course. In order to live for, in order to create a heaven on earth, the individual's the problem. The individual's in the way. Individual initiative, brain power, exceptionalism is a problem. So he's not defending Marxism. Neither am I. He's that the context is that that's not how they preach it. You'll never hear any of these people say we're out to destroy individualism. We're out to impoverish people. They say the opposite. Anyway, what was your next point? So my next point was also the blockade. Your comment on, on Joy, um, the buffoon, in your words, um, that she, she thinks the blockade is what's blocking, you know, the ability for people to regain a sense of normalcy. Cuba is one of the most fertile countries in the world. They mm-hmm. don't need blockades to be lifted to provide resources for their people. If anything, this is a necessary tragedy because the Cuban people need to fight their fight. We cannot fight it for them. They need to wake up and, and realize... Well, now, now, wait a minute. I think the Cuban people have awakened. You know, people don't just sit around and, 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 and slavishly are just accepting their circumstances. They have been brutalized. They are imprisoned. They are monitored. Many have been killed. <clears throat> so I, to say the Cuban people have to wake up, I really think, is, is, is not the right way to approach this. All right, Laura, thank you for your call. I very much appreciate it. We're going to move along here. Let us go to Jonah, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, on the Mark Levin app. How are you? Joanna, I'm sorry. Hi, Mr. That's okay, Mr. Levin. Um, I'm excited, too. I'm getting my copy tomorrow. And I'm also looking forward to the virtual event, so I'm looking forward to that. But the reason why I'm calling is Mm -hmm. Cuba. And I 
was watching the images on television, and it fills me with gratitude because when you're looking at a people who are living in or facing true tyranny, mm-hmm. true oppression, what is the flag that they're holding in their hand? They're holding the American flag because mm-hmm. to them and to many places around the world, they look at it as a symbol of liberty and freedom. And that's what they're trying to attain. And then you look at what's going on here, and it breaks my heart and kills me because it's sickening. It's ingrates. It's it's just it's something. It's people that, who are born in the heart of liberty, who can do whatever the hell they want to to advance their lives, who take no personal responsibility for for what they do, uh, and uh, they would burn our flag. They would pull down monuments, the good, the bad, and the ugly. They trash our founders. And you find whether it's Hong Kong or whether it's Cuba or anywhere else in the face of the earth, they look to America as that shining city on a hill, as President Reagan said, as a beacon. And they carry the American flag. You're 100% right. You know what, Joanna? Even though I don't have a book yet, I'll have it tomorrow. Let's give Joanna a signed copy of my book. Can we do that, Mr. Producer? Don't hang up, Joanna. We're going to get your address. And we'll be right back. Levin, making conservatism great again. Dial in now, 877-381-3811. Let me go to Mr. Producer Glenn, Ontario, California, 870 AM, The Answer. Glenn, how are you? Hey, Mr. Levin, I'm doing well. Um, I pulled the call screener. I wanted to give you some positive feedback. I'm a 39-year-old millennial. I live in Southern California. Um, I'm I, I'm very conservative now, but uh, as I told the call screen, I've heard you allude to before about the Jewish community. Being Latino and being raised in Southern California, we, we call ourselves Chicano. If you're if you're Mexican but you're born here, it's it's a word that people use. Oh, you're Chicano versus differentiating yourself if you were born from Mexico, and just that's just the way you were. You were born you were born here, but you were Democrat, and that mm-hmm. was just your identity. And um, so, out of a family of thirty now. There's eight of us now that are hardcore, strong, liberty-loving Americans. Wonderful. True conservatives. But it wasn't always like that. Growing up, it was pretty much my stepdad and him alone. And, and, and they, they, my grandma and grandpa were never argumentative. They were conservative in principle, but they were Democrat. It was just – it was one thing that I've – your next book should be uh, American propaganda. The <laughs> Democrats have – they mastered propaganda. And, and this is something that they've mastered the indoctrination in the schools, and now they've adopted, they've mastered propaganda in the culture, whether it's things like this. You'll hear, oh, well, the Democrats are for the poor, or Republicans are for the rich. Whether we believe that or not to be true, people have bought into this. they bought into the propaganda, and I speak about the Latino community in particular. But one thing I've noticed, so I've been, about, I've been back to Southern California for about five and a half years, um, is there is a swing, and... and You've, uh, you're, you're what I consider the preeminent intellectual, conservative intellectual today. And I use you, you know, your literature, your platform to, to direct people to. Hey, go to Mark Levin, go to the show. And so one thing, another person who is Donald Trump, who needs to be given a lot of credit. And he was able to make inroads because of the lack of political correctness. He, doesn't, he didn't give a damn to a certain extent what you thought because he was saying the truth. And whether people know this or not, the Latino community, they find that refreshing because I'm, I'm starting to see that they're realizing that a lot of what the, 
the Democrats, they've been feeding us crap sandwiches and been telling us it's filet mignon. But yeah. we're starting to realize that's what it is. We're no longer being fed crap sandwiches and eating it and saying, okay, good, thank you. Mm-hmm. No, but there's a pushback. And anyways, long story, your, your, your platform, keep doing what you're doing, man. Um, you know, the book comes out, I'll get more of your books, and I'll distribute to you're, people. You're I, very kind. You're an inspiration. Well, no, you are. I mean, look, man, I, I, I've, I found you in 13, and uh, you and, and, and Help With Rush just kind of helped my philosophy a lot. But I'll be honest, I've always had this, this conservative principles, thanks mm-hmm. to my grandma and grandpa. But they mm-hmm. kept voting Democrat because that's just the way it was. You, you were taught, well, you're Mexican, you've you got to vote Democrat. The Republicans aren't for you. And it was just, it's propaganda at its a We've seen Soviet propaganda. We've seen, uh, you know, Chinese propaganda. And I say this, the, 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 the American left has mastered it. They've mastered propaganda. And that's where we are. So keep doing what you're doing. Like I said, there's a lot of closeted Trump. I hate to say this. People in, in the Latino community in Southern California, it's not cool to be Trump supporters. It's not hip. So people, they just go along with the crowd. Mm-hmm. Even though in November they might vote for him, they, they don't want people to know that. So it's it's a it's a very peculiar. I'm the opposite. I really don't give a damn. <laughs> I'm going to be very candid. Whether you think of me is well, I I think a lot of you, and I'd like you to call back in the future. Will you, uh, read the book and let me know yeah, what I you will. think about it. Obviously, yeah, I will. And again, I have all your love, men and black, all the way from men in black, and uh, like I said, I, but that's where I'm at. Well, I'm with you. I, I tell people now I'm an activist. People say, "What are you?" I'm an activist. Good for I'm you. An activist for what? For liberty. For the Second Amendment, for the Constitution. Amen. So anyways, that's, I'm just giving you positive, positive feedback, brother. Keep doing what you're doing. God bless you. I appreciate it. You're very inspiring to the whole to the whole country, and especially to me. I really appreciate that. Very, very nice. Oh hell, he left already, didn't he? I could have given him a book too. Well, I can't give everyone a book, but he he should have gotten a book. Mr. Producer, who else should I speak to? Anybody else there? I can't see my. Yeah. K-T-E-L, Elaine in Lafayette, Louisiana. How are you? Hello, Mark. Thank you for taking my call. By the way, what is it with your, that Senator Cassidy is his name? Oh, he's an idiot. Oh, he's, he's a real rhino, that one. I like John Kennedy. He's pretty damn good. But Cassidy? Oh, my Lord. Go ahead. I'm sorry. He's... Yes, I've been a lifelong Democrat. I voted for Obama twice. Yeah. Then I started listening to you and Rush and, and Sean, and I changed, and I voted for Trump twice. Wow. And I ordered your book. Aren't you a sweetheart? And I'm picking it up tomorrow. Thank You're you. great. You, that's it? I want to thank you. Thank you very, very much. Remember... Just take your time going through it, one page at a time. Now, some of these people are, they like to write in a lot of words, and they make up phrases and all. So I'll quote them, and then in the next paragraph, I'll explain what they're saying. You know what I mean? That's how I kind of wrote the book. So, so nobody should really get lost if you just take your time, one page at a time. Some people want to jump to the last chapter. You can do that, too, where that's the, that's the ideas on how we push back. But... Uh, And we're all going to be in this together. We're all going to talk about it together. So I want to thank you. Thank you very much. And thank you for voting the last two times the way that you did. There we go. Who's next, Mr. Producer? The great WBAP, Tim, Dallas, Texas. How are you, sir? 
Mark, how you doing, my friend? It's an honor and a pleasure. I greatly appreciate taking my call. Thank you. You know, I had the uh, great pleasure and honor today as an employee at Amazon Fulfillment Center in Dallas packing I don't know how many of your books. It was awesome. It was all How does that great. work? So uh you you have to pack them the day before or two days before in order to get them out. I mean, we have we got a lot of books ordered through Amazon, I'll tell you that. Oh my gosh, I can tell you my friend, I I my when I first went in today, everything comes in these big yellow totes. They come off a conveyor belt. I pull them down. The first thing I saw was your books in there. There's other product in there, but this particular, my first one, probably had about eight of your books in there. Yeah. So I packed all the other stuff first. They started packing yours. I made them real nice and put the cushion <laughs> there so they won't bounce around in the box. <clears throat> and then I was losing my time throughout the day because I kept coming through it and reading bits and pieces of it. <laughs> Good for you. Don't get in trouble. Use a fake name. Oh, well, I know, I know. But, yeah, it was great. I pulled down one tote, and there was 18 of them in there. Nothing but uh, American Marxism books were in that tote. Now, that's a lot. What's a tote? Obviously, it's a box or something. Well, it's a plastic tote, you know, yeah. that all – there's probably five, eight – a million of these totes that are in the Amazon Fulfillment Center, and wow. everything's pull. Everything's inside a uh, a yellow tote that comes conveyor belt. Mm-hmm. You pull it down, and there's a bunch of us to do it. I mean, gosh, I'm out here. There's so many people at pack, mm-hmm. and I pull out my number ten boxes, and I was just rapid fire, just making those nice and making them real nice and cushy, you know, so the customers and our loyal listeners uh, would have a real nice uh, copy and would bounce around the box. Now, I gotta tell you what I really like about the uh, cover of the book yeah. is how you have that raised lettering. Yeah, I was kind of like uh, raised a little bit. I was feeling that, going, "Man, this is." And you know, another thing too, that's a perfect size book. It's not too big. It's not too small. Man. Yeah, and it's like you know what, and it's not like oh my god, this is gonna take. You know, I, I know that thing is chock full of great stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I look at it like, man. But it's not War and Peace. You know, it's not 800 pages long. No, no, it wasn't. Could have been, but it's not. Yeah. So I was just packing all these today, and I felt like, you know, I get to see these before everybody gets to see them. And I was just so pumped. It seemed like I wasn't even there 10 hours. Oh, you work a 10 hour shift? Oh, yeah. I'm uh, 7 30 to 6 every day. Well, listen, I want to thank you. You're a hardworking guy. Don't hang up. Ah, we got another one. I'm going to send you a signed copy of my book, so do not hang up. And uh, we want to get your address. Now, we have uh, certain numbers of these books that they allow me to have. You, you'd be amazed how, uh, how, they, how they hold on to the books because they're concerned that they have enough for tomorrow and the rest of the week. So I got it. But uh, I want to make sure we can give some. Somehow, when I remember. And I want to thank this gentleman. We'll be right back. Mark Lovin. We have such great listeners. You people are fantastic. And if we claw our way out of this, it's going to be thanks to you. The callers... 
listeners, just absolutely uh, fantastic. I can't thank you enough. As I say, you're the people who are going to save this country. Have I told the audience about the fracture in my back, Mr. Producer? I don't think I have. I didn't tell you either? Well, my, from this accident I had, my back keeps bothering me. My lower right back. You know, on the lower left, I had that disc thing. But the lower right. And in the accident, I kept saying, Jesus, what the hell happened to my back? So we took an x-ray on Friday. And I have a fractured vertebrae at the L4, for those of you who care, <laughs> L4. And that's the problem. So I walk around like I'm an old man, you know, but I try not to because I don't want to walk around that way. Um, and sometimes it's okay and sometimes it's not. So it kind of has to heal on its own is my understanding. Now, I'm going to tell you something, America, and Mr. Producer, Mr. Colstrain, and I'm going to get in trouble. At about 5 o'clock this evening, I got two calls from my primary doctor's office, and it wouldn't stop ringing. You want to know why? He's concerned I haven't gone on to, like, a back doctor to take a look at this, because he knows me. Because I've got so much to do, I don't have time. What are they going to do? They can put me in a body cast? I mean, just as a logical, what are they going to do? So I guess I can't duck that call forever. <laughs> I mean, how many doctors are you going to see? It just wears you out. I'm not one of these people that like to sit in the waiting rooms and all. Just, But anyway, just thought I'd let you know. All right, let's take a couple of calls, shall we? Yes, we shall. Cheryl, Long Beach, California, 870 AM, the answer. Cheryl, I hope you'll wind up at the Reagan Library on August 14th. How are you? Oh, my God. Mom and I would love to. They are sold out, which is why Mom and I are so proud of you. And so I had a question to ask on behalf of my students. Yes. But Mom oh, your students. said they are sold out, wants to say something to you. So here yeah. she is. Here's Mark. Hi. I love you. Oh, I love you, too. For everything you do for everybody, God bless you. It's everything the best in the world. And God bless you, sweetie. You, you, too. Thank you. She's such a sweetheart. Now, let me remind everybody, you're a law professor. Your mom is a Holocaust survivor. Yeah. Go ahead. Yep. You were saying. As an almost ninety, if she wasn't almost ninety-four, we'd wait in the line just for the book. Oh but, my um, God, no. And to see her beautiful face. But um, I will say that you know my, <laughs> along with my students and all students, are getting this you know conflated thing. You know, you were talking before about critical race theory, and there's a lot of professors out there saying, oh well, this is the same like in law school when you learn critical thinking and critical theory and about mm-hmm. case law. Um, you know, to effectuate social justice, and I was hoping that maybe you could explain, um, you know, to the audience, like, how that's not the case. We and will get into that, because it really did start in our law schools. It started at uh, Stanford, and then really got a push at Harvard by this fellow, Derek Bell. Some of us kind of knew who he was early on. Uh, in fact, Mr. Producer's wife was taught a little bit about Derek Bell in college, uh, but he took this Marcuse uh, model and applied it broadly. He was considered a kook at the time. 
But critical theory, I'll just do this very quickly, is the theory that the law is written by the majority dominant culture. The law is written in a way where it excludes certain people. Uh, And so the law is to be attacked. um, And and you hear the music. And I will expand on this in the days ahead, Cheryl. So very, very well put. My best to your mom again, and God bless you all. I want to salute all you heroes out there. I hope you've jumped in for your pre-orders. If not, tomorrow's the day, the next day, the next day. We'll keep at it. I'll see you soon. God bless you.